I do is worry and slave and defend you. And all I get back is that fucking face on your face. So full of disdain and resentment and always so annoyed. Well, now your sister is dead. And I know you miss her. And I know it was an accident. And I know you're in pain. And I wish I could take that away for you. I wish I could shield you from the knowledge that you did what you did. But your sister is dead. She is gone forever. And what a waste. <laughs> If it could have maybe brought us together or something. If you could have just said, I'm sorry, or faced up to what happened, maybe then we could do something with this. But you can't take responsibility for anything. So now I can't accept. And I can't forgive. Because... Because nobody admits anything they've done! Hey, happy Mother's Day, everybody. to the Blood and Black Rum Podcast. I'm Ryan from ColtSploitation.com, and I'm joined with my co-host, Martin. How's it going? Well, the intention for this month that we're starting out on is to not be doing very well after we watch the movies, because we're supposed to be encountering some difficult films for the month of May. Probably need a better title for the month, because just difficult film month, uh... It doesn't really roll off the tongue. I like it. I, mean, I couldn't find anything that really tied in with May, you know, like alliteratively. Uh, we could have done like mediocre May, <laughs> <laughs> something like that. Um, but yeah, well, this... seeing as our most of our catalog of films that we have done has been like an exercise in mediocrity. Yeah, it doesn't really work out very well because it'd be like we're just doing the same shit we always yeah. do. We just do the same one. We're gonna do. Uh... <laughs> the the other film in the Mako series we would, <laughs> we would do the rest of the DC that we missed so yeah. far like all right time to do Harley Quinn and Birds to Prey jump back into Wonder Woman 2 you know what i'm so glad we i never got to finish that you film. missed the bullet <laughs> how's Kristen Wiig's uh, career now after that i think she have, i think she's she have, fine yeah oh so Keenan, uh, Keenan's still on SNL, but she hasn't lived to see another day after that. Okay. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, we're so we're starting out on a venture called we'll call difficult films. Um, Real quick, a little off more, a little off tangent. Do you think Daryl Hammond shakes his fist every day that Keenan comes uh, becomes closer at like uh, eclipsing him on the SNL mark? I think he might have. I think he's already eclipsed him. Yeah, Keenan right. is the longest running cast member on snl poor daryl that's all he had and he may be the only person to ever be the longest running cast member on all that and snl he has that in the guinness book of world records they should have signed up Tan- danny tamborelli 
could have used an SNL version of Fat Cop. <laughs> All right, but anyway, back to di- back to difficult films month. Um, I just had this idea that we would we would tackle some movies that have been, um, you know, historically found to be difficult to watch in some manner um difficult in this case doesn't mean like they were just shot very poorly or uh difficult to find or anything like that which it could be its own separate category you know difficult to watch because they're so poor um is definitely something that we've treaded down before um but in this case it means like emotionally draining or um taxing yeah taxing exhausting um and so difficult um you know things that many have considered to be like very what we would call like harrowing circumstances there's a lot of movies like that out there but the ones that we picked for this uh month and you know we may return to the other ones um that i can think of next time you know in in a different month but the ones that we picked for this month include uh hereditary Ari Aster's film, which we're going to do today on today's episode. Um, we also picked, and I say we, but it, I guess it was mainly me. Like I just, you know, picked these films for you yeah. because I thought yeah. they would be fun to do. Yeah, I, I suggested some and told me to fuck off. <laughs> these are the ones that I really like wanted to cover for it, and then maybe we can do others. Like I, I know you, you really, you really want to do a Serbian film. And Cannibal. Uh, and Cannibal Holocaust. Uh, Those will be like. Difficult Films Month Part Two, um, Caligula. So in in any ways, I don't. And to be fair, I don't really even think that like a Serbian film to me is not even like a difficult film. It's just like a goofy ass film. Um, like once you get down to it, it's like the Ed Lord Edge Lord Edge Lord's version of like a difficult movie, right? Like it's it's just like trollish in the it's it's uh, you know how it portrays things but anyway those are for a different time i'm just more curious out of the you know the same thing like cannibal holocaust it's like it's it's like listen i might as well you know be like yeah it's all yeah and and i've seen cannibal holocaust too and um the 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 really the biggest thing about cannibal holocaust is just that it's the 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 animal brutality the 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 real animal violence that is really the main thing about cannibal holocaust that would impact people watching it that's what makes it difficult that's what really gave it its namesake um other than that like it wasn't that they were actually eaten by like you know (laughs) by uh cannibal uh native natives yeah Yeah, no and, and to be honest with you too i will say that despite the animal violence Cannibal Holocaust is actually a, a pretty good film um, on its own merits because it tackles a lot of things like sens- media sensationalism, um, bothering native people for no reason, like just because you, you want to know more about their tribe and stuff like that and like going places that you really don't belong. Uh, that's, it's like actually, say, that's like saying that the Twilight Zone movie was all, you know pretty good, all things aside, besides the fact that a plane killed two people. Yeah, I mean, yeah and a child. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but but I, I would say, like, you know, the biggest thing about Cannibal Holocaust is, like, can you stomach real animal brutality? If not, then Cannibal Holocaust is just not going to be one of those movies for you. And um, including many other films by Diodato and things like that, that where they truly did kill animals. Um, 
so there are more even besides cannibal holocaust that we could do like in that cannibal mondo um genre subgenre but um those are for another time the ones that we're going to do for this month is hereditary um requiem for a dream um we're gonna do forgot your list already yeah i forgot my list no um (laughs) we're gonna do funny games the original, um, Michael Haneke's original movie, because he, he ended up remaking his for American audiences, um, I think, in 1998. But we're going to do the original German version of that, um, just simply because it is the original. and uh, the, Both of them are worth a watch, by the way, but uh, like the, the American version is actually very good, too. Um, it's Austrian, by the way. You sorry, Austrian. German. You're right, you're right. Austrian, Jesus. sorry. It's not the same. Close. <laughs> and uh, the last one we're going to do is um, Von Trier's Antichrist. So those are on the docket for the month of May. Uh, hopefully you... I think the only the only film in this I haven't heard of uh, is Funny Games. Oh, okay. So. We're in for a treat. So the idea was to challenge us. I mean, it's not... I'm, most of them I've seen already. But... Um, but a nice challenging thing to discuss and talk about and, and talk about how these films are difficult and what makes them difficult and, and how Martin felt about how they're difficult. So, so it should be, it should be a good time. And we're starting it out with hereditary, uh, Ari Aster's film from 2018, um, starring Tony Collette and, um, um, a, a movie about, literally you know hereditary um acquiring of mental illness and then also about paimon uh, the demonic entity that a cult of affiliated people are trying to conjure after uh this family's grandmother and mother die and so I saw Hereditary when it released in theaters, um, but you've really? never seen it. Yeah. Really? It came to the, our local theater? Um. Yeah, it did. Yeah, it, it wow. had, a, it had a, a fairly wide release. I know, but I mean, I, I know they released it after it got such praise, but I'm just shocked and chagrined that the movieplex picked it up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, but you hadn't seen it, right? No. I, I've heard of it, I, you know. Right, and obviously now you've heard of Ari Aster. Uh, Hereditary was really his directorial debut, but then he went on to do uh, after after the critical acclaim of Hereditary, he went on to do Midsummer. Um, Midsummer we did not actually pick for this, although it could easily fall within difficult films as well. Um, you know, it's a little bit different uh, from Hereditary, but it is a very much akin to The Wicker Man, and obviously that was a huge, huge uh, influence on Ari Aster for. Um, for that movie uh for hereditary we could also somewhat call the wicker man an influence um because it does have the cult element to it that the wicker man also uh features and also it has that very slow burn build of some things like a miss here that the wicker man does very well and if you wanted to go back and listen to our episode on the wicker man which we did last summer 
uh, please go ahead and do that because that's actually a really good episode that we had. Um, all it's missing is the cheese and bread and bread. That is that is true though. Yeah, we are missing all the folk songs of the uh, bread and cheese and bread. And che- <laughs> I forgot about that. Yes, the Wicker Man does have the the very uh, unique folk music that really does not set the tone for that movie when you're first starting out. Hey, what's this going on? Oh, there's just some nice, uh, nice folk music. English so, folk music. So, if you're if you're in the horror community, I feel like it's been very difficult to avoid Hereditary's um, spoilers. Like, but but have you man- managed to? You didn't go yeah. into this knowing things. No, I didn't. That's interesting. No, I, um, no, I I mean I know Midsummer now, Inside Now, but <clears throat> this no, I have I have not really seen any uh, spoilers for. And that's actually surprising to me too, because I feel like it's like it's become so ingrained now that um, I, I just don't know how you avoided it. But good for you. I mean, that's that's great that you avoided it because I think one of the main things about Hereditary is that you really do need to go into it with fresh eyes and and not know what's going on. And even so, I remember seeing the trailer for Hereditary, which did not really um show exactly what the movie was about it made it clear that it was about a family and they're encountering some weirdness but the the it's tech the conjuring yeah kind of <laughs> i mean it definitely kind of made it out to be more of just like you know your regular um haunted house movie like oh this family's being plagued by something in their house um and even if you look on imdb There's a nice, very, very brief synopsis of the movie that says a grieving family is haunted by tragic and disturbing occurrences. And that's like, you know, that that could be literally any movie um, from for like the paranormal uh, subgenre that, you you know, it could be anything. So um, props to the, you know, the production and the the press for not really exposing what Hereditary is about. Because uh, if you were just to take a look at the trailer and the synopsis, you really don't have a good idea of what is going to occur in the movie. And that's part of what makes the film such a difficult film to watch because you're not truly ready f- for the experience. You don't know what's going to happen. You don't know where it's headed. And the film at about two hours long is a really slow burn movie that takes its inspiration from uh, movies like uh, the Exorcist, Rosemary's Baby, The Omen, um, very family-oriented paranormal movies. But then it also kind of, uh, you know, branches off into its own areas as well to give a what I think what people have deemed like a cerebral experience for um, a horror movie. Because Hereditary, whether you like it or not, really did break the boundary between what normal people the horror lovers um you know what horror lovers experience as a horror movie and what other people experience as a horror movie because hereditary was able to kind of cross over that boundary to grab people that wouldn't normally just be watching horror movies um it kind of had elements to it that bridged it into you know family drama and some of the other elements that don't normally make it into to be movies that um, don't get recognized by like things like the Academy, who really skips over genre movies entirely. Um, 
you know, they don't really care too much about like no. what you would consider a genre movie. How dare you? Right. It's it's been almost fifteen years, and you're saying that Crash and the Artist aren't renowned. The King's <laughs> King's Speech. There, there, there is a a very <laughs> very there's there's a Venn diagram of people who love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, remake from 2009 and There's, the King's Speech. <laughs> uh, I thought you were talking about the remake, the one that we just saw on Netflix. No, oh, that one that too, right. I was going to say, no one liked that. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say in this intro before we move on for, for a little bit to talk about our beer? But yeah, no, I, so like, again, like I know, I know who Ari Aster is. I'm familiar that he's, you know, gained some, you know he's his films have gained a following mainly midsummers like where i know him from but i haven't seen that either i just know about it hereditary i don't know why kind of stayed off my radar um it's not something that like you asked me to go see at the theater so i'm kind of surprised about that i went to see it with my family actually it was a whole uh, family affair well i can see your dad right now four characters that's Three too that, many. Yep, that is actually kind of true. Um, <laughs> we can talk about that when we get in further into the movie. Yeah, but um, but yeah. So I, I, you know, I was pretty blind on what the concept was going to be. Um, just going off the poster alone, you'd be like, oh, it's conjuring e. Mm-hmm. Um, that's all I had to kind of go off of it. Um, so I was kind of curious to what was going to make this a uh, difficult taxing film to get through yeah well we'll talk about that in just a little besides, bit besides the runtime <laughs> yeah yeah oh two hours and eight minutes it's long <laughs> that is gonna be exhausting that's all that every film now it's like oh, at least it's not two and a half hours long mm-hmm. yeah you really have to to uh bolster yourself sometimes you're like ah, all right 245 <laughs> let me get prepared I got my uh, my portable um, urinal with me. <laughs> got my catheter. <laughs> yeah. and I'm, I'm not, not going, going anywhere. Uh, you know, Mormons beware. <laughs> not answering the door. Ding dong. All right, so uh, we'll we'll take a break to talk about the beer that we have on the show today because we do have a special delivery from our beloved Fiden's Mule. Uh, from Fidens in Albany. If you've uh, not listened to some of our episodes before, we have covered Fidens a couple times. Uh, it is a treat whenever we have it on the show because it's so hard to get for us because uh, you actually have to go to the Fidens Brewery and get it in Albany. And I don't they, have time for are, that. Martin, are they te- are they technically Albany or Colony? Yeah, I know it's the like can, Colony. I, yeah, I know the can, I, say, I know the can says Albany, but I'm pretty sure they're in. Colony. It is, yeah. Fuck. It's 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 that general area. It's right off of five. Yep. But uh, they they're so exclusive to get, and they they have you know these set days that they they serve the beer, and you can only get them in single cans. And there's a whole yeah, kind of stipulations. Look, look at that. I'm reading like yeah. I Google it right now. Fines Brewery, Ten Walker Way, Colony, there you New go. York. You're not Albany. Don't lie. Don't lie to the people like that, you fucks. <laughs> All right, you'll have to go find them in Colony then if you're truly looking for their for their address. 
Listen, it's like when you go to a concert and it's in Troy and they're like, well, how you doing, Albany? It's like, no, we're in fucking Troy, you dipshit. <laughs> It's the other side of the river. But uh, we were we we were graced by our Fiden's Mule with a new beer for the show. He even uh, requested it. What's that? He even, he even requested he re- it. Yeah, he requested it. He he wanted us to do this one in particular. So um, we did end up with the Fiden's NM four NM four NM. Which basically ends up standing for necessary means, for a necessary means, for a necessary means, which is sort of a in joke with Fidens, but they basically they made a necessary means, which is an IPA, then they made a necessary means for a necessary means, which is a double IPA. And then they ended up making this one, which is abbreviated because of the long ass name, and it is a triple IPA. Not even abbreviated, how dare you? <laughs> yeah, not even. Um, so this one is a triple IPA basically based on the necessary means formula, which is mosaic and citra hops. That's really, you know, the two things that are hopping this, this, uh, beer with, you know, some additional grains and stuff like that. But, um, the two hops that they're focusing on here are citra and mosaic. And those are fairly common hops to use in IPAs. But in this case, this triple IPA, um, really goes above and beyond what you can even expect from most um, IPA, hazy IPAs with those uh, hops, the Citroen Mosaic. Um, this is insanely good. Um, it is a really special beer. It Like immediately once you crack into it, you just get the insane amount of hop um, flavors to it. This, the citrus element, uh, the juiciness, and the smoothness of the triple all really come out, especially considering this 10% alcohol content. It is like extremely smooth, um, very what you would call like pillowy. Um, and I am a huge fan of this triple IPA, which is interesting considering the fact that most of the time I tend to find triple IPAs actually go a little bit too far for my taste because they end up getting a little bit sweeter. They end up getting um, maybe uh, too much rosiny flavor to push them over on the bitterness scale. In this case, that does not happen. This is an extremely smooth, very um, vibrant tasting beer. Yeah, as I'm taking a sip. Uh, I agree. Um, We've done a couple other beers on here. Because uh, they're local, and I've you know called them boutique because they're so bougie. <laughs> but I mean, the reputation that they've gained, and they're world renowned at this point. You know, people go all over the goddamn place just to come up to our little neck of the woods to get the stuff that they basically sell out of a shed. Uh, they, it's the reputation's well learned. I have not had a beer by them yet that I would say is bad. Everything they've made so far is great, and one of my favorite ones that we've done so uh, we've had so far is the uh, the necessary means for a necessary means the double uh, the double of the necessary means. I actually haven't had the regular necessary means yet. Um, this is delightful. It's great. Like Ryan, I'm not usually a big fan of triple IPAs because you hit like it's kind of like like with a lot of imperial stouts, you eventually hit that point where it's like okay, the alcohol and 
what you're doing to it is kind of overtaking what the beer is supposed to be. Here, that 10%, you don't really, you don't taste at all. It's uh, rosiny, which I love. It's got that nice mosaic hop, which is one of my favorite hops because it does give that nice, like, bitter, <clears throat> pine, excuse me, piney, citrusy, rosiny taste to it. It's pulpy. It's like a beet, like, it looks like just like fresh squeezed orange juice. It doesn't really have too many, like, citrus notes. Like, it, I wouldn't really, like, you'd be kind of hard pressed to say, like, that it's a Nipa because it's not really juicy. It's more like a West Coast IPA. Like, which is kind of like a forgotten, <laughs> forgotten thing these days. But I, I really enjoy this. This is one of the best beers I've probably had in a long, long, long time. Um, it's just absolutely delightful, and it hits a just a lot of notes in an IPA that I love. I like the ros more rosiny IPAs. I like you know that nice bitter taste. That's why I'm, one of the reasons why I miss pale ale so much. You know, because you got that nice malt and pale, you know, hot balance, and you do get like a nice little malty biscuitiness to us. I like this a lot. It's great. Uh, it's just a damn shame that it's like ten bucks a beer. <laughs> <laughs> yes, thank you. Uh, thank you, Fiden's Mule, for grabbing this for us. Really appreciate that. And I just want we you to know. We do need to go down there, though. It's yeah. not like it's that, that terrible of a hike for us. It's true. It's not. It's just finding the time to. But uh, you, just, you, you got kids, so you have an excuse. I don't. That's right. Yeah. It's, but, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a thing that I would like to do at some point. Um, just haven't had a chance to. Uh, get to get down there at a time when they're open and and have their their beers for sale. So, all right. I can't wait for the day when they finally open up like a fucking food park for it because it's probably gonna be the most ridiculous shit you've ever seen in your life. Like, yeah, it'd be like a gastro pub. Like, here's like the most like fancy. Like, we got this salmon for our salmon rolls, freshly caught by our brewmaster out on the seas of Tokyo. <laughs> <laughs> he was out there on the Sea Japan himself catching tuna, and he skin you know brought it back and skinned and seared it himself. He was part of wicked tuna, but all right. Look at that! Look at that! And they got all these job. They got a brewer, assistant brewer job open, a cellar person. Too bad they don't tell you what the pay is. What's the pay? Come on, maybe I want to quit my job. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so on to Hereditary. So I think one of the things that I find really attractive about Hereditary is its opening quietness. Um, it is a film that really emphasizes the slow burn nature of its plotting. Um, and ultimately what we get is a movie that starts out very slow, very quiet, very methodical uh, with a pacing that really emphasizes the character development of it, this family that we're meeting for the first time. Um, and as we move through, it incorporates a lot of eerie things that we notice here and there. Um, most effectively, I think, is when we're at like the funeral for... Uh, Annie's mother who has j just recently passed away um, the film 
is very quick to know that she is a secretive person. She certainly was odd in some capacity. Um, at the end of her life, she wasn't really all there. Um, and that sort of speaks to something like dementia, where, you know, it's it's understandable that at a certain point in their life with dementia, you get to a point where you don't really recognize your mother anymore because she's no longer that same person. They lose their their, you know, their normal personality. They sort of slip into this um, this sort of baby like demeanor where they actually regress. And um, that makes sense. But then the film sort of. Uh, incorporates that into its plotting moving forward to say, you know what, wait a second, like maybe she's always been somewhat of a weird lady and she had these weird quirks about her and she believed these interesting supernatural phenomena um, and that it sort of continues to creep along at that slow pacing uh, using Millie Shapiro's character Charlie as the main um focal point so what did you think about the opening there and how it really uses like that quietness um in its atmosphere it was good i liked like the whole um we got to see the miniature setup of the house and it kind of slowly panned in and then as it panned in it turned into what's actually happening in the film i liked it a lot yeah, and I think, too, like the um, the the interesting elements to this movie is that it's its characters really do seem fleshed out. They don't have, you know, a very generic um, portrayal of of you know what you would expect from a family. Ari Aster really takes the time to show the differences in in each of the the personalities of these characters, and as we go along, we kind of get to see that. Um, a lot of them are not so well adjusted. Like Charlie obviously has her own quirks. She's not, um, you know, popular in school. She doesn't have friends. She's not really sociable. Um, and she has these really weird, um, figurines that she's been building, uh, you know, with like bottles and, um, like gold bond and, uh, birds heads that she cuts off that she finds, dead in by her school and so the film sort of capitalizes on these slow methodical eerie elements um and a very effective score from um um what's his name um the uh i'm forgetting i i just had it pulled up too his the uh the composer um <laughs> here I am uh, fumbling here for the uh, for the composer. Yeah, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> it has a very a very uh, affecting score that sort of shimmers in the background. Um, it it sort of is there, but also acts as like more atmospheric because a lot of times there's just like a very thudding, pounding like bass tone in the background. Um, that sort of in gives a suspenseful feeling to it that I think works really well. And I think the, the element of that quietness um, is so effective because you, it doesn't really give the viewer a feeling of what to expect. 
Um, obviously, you know that these weird things are occurring, but you don't really know what's going to come or where the film is leading to. And then you get about 45 minutes in. And at 45 minutes in, we get the the, the film's like main surprise, the, the brutality that just comes out of nowhere of an extremely suspenseful moment in time where Charlie is at a party accidentally eats a cake that has peanuts in it we we know that she's allergic to that from a, an earlier scene and um we have peter who's trying to get her help but they're they're off at some extremely ridiculously expensive mansion that that some teenager is throwing a party at first off bunch of bullshit who goes to a fucking high school party and someone's sitting there chopping nuts up? That's what I was thinking too. I was thinking, for, wow, for for a fucking cake. That's ridiculous. That's not happening. <laughs> someone's just like, hey, grab grab the nuts. We've we've got to make a cake for this party. Not uh, only yeah. that, like the, the I mean, it's twenty eighteen. People are sensitive to like nut allergies at this point. You think like you know. I don't got nut allergy. No, 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 no. Yep. People would be like, don't put that in there. Someone could be allergic. I do agree. The nuts is a unrealistic factor here. Not only that, I will say points to this film in the part where we get to see the opening, where we see their bedrooms. It's the first film in like fucking film history where the, the room isn't just cluttered with shit on the walls, neatly organized, like just like shit everywhere like it's an actual person's bedroom where there's like you know it's minimalistic mm-hmm. so props to them on that but the whole like hey we're going to a high school party hey you know what i'm gonna do what's that as i'm you know taking shots of tequila gonna eat some nuts chop some nuts up <laughs> but uh but there's that there's that scene afterwards where she's ha- you know she's having going into anaphylactic shock throat's closing up and peter's driving her to the hospital trying to get her there as fast as possible, speeding down these country roads. And out of nowhere, the scene occurs where she sticks her head out the window and gets her head taken off by a rogue telephone pole. Because there's a dead deer in the road. Yeah. Uh, Rule rule of thumb for those who are driving and are young. um, When you see a deer, don't veer. That's right. That's right. That's a good, good. Uh, this this film is like a PSA, right? Don't when you see a deer, don't veer. That's actually like, it should have been on the on I the saw, screen. I saw I, I saw that on like Reddit, but I mean it is true. Like it, fucking veering is gonna only cause you more problems. You hit a deer, your car is gonna be fucked up a little, maybe a little bit, depending on like how your hood's scooped. But you'll be okay. You veer, you could fucking hit a telephone pole. Or, <laughs> That's or right. something you know or something worse yeah and um that's i just took a defensive driving course and that's exactly what they say too should you should you try to avoid the deer if 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 you're going head no you should try to graze it but but you don't need to like whip the wheel as happens in hereditary because you know best be, let's say best case scenario you take your sister's head off with a telephone pole Worst case scenario, you die. But you, um, you, you summon a cult. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> well, the worst case scenario then happens in Hereditary. Not only does he take his sister's head off, he summons a. They summon a cult as well. <laughs> so, 
worst case scenario from veering from a deer. The fucking deer. That's the real villain of Hereditary, by the way. It's the deer. One deer. <laughs> One dying deer. Um, no, so, that and we that and weed. That is true your, as well. What's your, what's your sin? Oh, I didn't I didn't drink because my mom asked, "Are you drinking?" No, I'm just gonna smoke pot, mom. Oh, okay. I hit a I hit a nasty ass bong. Uh, so okay, so what did you think of the surprise beheading? Um. Well, okay. First off, before we kind of even talk about that, um. It takes like half an hour to get there. It's like we get a nice slow burn, pretty well paced, you know, seeing the family dynamics, what's going on, how they live their lives, you know, and how they interact. And we get to kind of see throughout that time period that everyone's pretty normal. The grandmother was kind of a weirdo, had some kind of mental illness. Mental illness runs in the family. You know, her father apparently had it, and so did, you know, her brother. And uh, Charlie, at this point, uh, from what we see, uh, you would suspect the same thing. It's like, is she autistic? Is she, like, manic? You know, is she depressive? She's some, you know, she's got obviously something, you know, mentally wrong with her because she's not, you know, as, like, sociable and. At, with it as she should be at that age mm-hmm. um, which kind of makes her mom saying hey go to the fucking school barbecue at this dude's house she's yeah she's not even asking she's like you're, no you're going you're going yeah. to this party because like I'm tired of you I, being you know a, mo- a mopey little shit yeah yeah so I mean like you know I get it from that point but at the same point it's like whoa your son's like 16 17 years old and then you're like hey your brother's in like fucking senior in high school and you're in like eighth grade, ninth grade. You, you want to go to a school party where they're probably going to be drinking, there's drugs and shit? Go right ahead. You fucking need it. Do a line of Coke. I don't care. Just don't do peanuts. But, Just so, don't like, do peanuts, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, like, you know, it's like, it's a nice build and then we get like, you know, we're seeing her react to like eating the nuts and it comes out of nowhere, and, but beautifully out of nowhere because, like, okay, where's this, you know, we're a half hour in, where's this film going? Like, because at that point, you can either say, like, eventually, like, we're going to get into kind of some supernatural stuff. Maybe this is just going to be a grounded film and we're going to just focus on, like, you know, mental illness as, like, it, as it actually exists and how people, you know, deal with it in modern times. And that's where you get the psychological horror element from. Nope. Kid gets her head lopped off. It's hilarious. Well executed, but hilarious. And then Peter's reaction of just sitting there and be like, oh, shit. And then, like, you know, you just see see his eyes kind of roll back and, like, him being like, Ugh. and then drive home with, you know. Yeah, it's it's, it's definitely. The, it's, it's all, a... it's missing, all it's missing is, like, the Home Alone doo-doo-doo-doo. <laughs> that would certainly be a different rendition of the scene, right? That'd be like the inappro- inappropriate uh, <laughs> Christmas music. Just like rolling back up, you know, like to the house. I'm dreaming of a white You know, this might also be a time for the inappropriate holiday road, where as the car starts 
when he, he lets off the brake and starts rolling and you see that one scene of the car rolling, that's when Holiday Road kicks in. <laughs> that would be a super, super inappropriate Holiday Road. But I will say that this scene is really, I think, is one of the, the biggest scenes that makes this a difficult film. It is out of nowhere, unexpected, completely visceral, and yet you don't really see anything in this scene um, until it obviously cuts away later on. Um, but you don't see the aftermath, and that's really one of the big things about this this uh, scene that works is because we're really seeing it from Peter's point of view. We're looking directly at Peter. We're seeing Peter process this or attempt to process this. Uh, we're seeing him like immediately in a, in a form of shock. Um, and there's that really good moment where, you know, he, he lets like one tear down and then he goes to try to look in the rear view mirror and then just immediately, no, I don't, I, I can't even look at what just happened in the background. And then he drives off and drives home. And I think the, the quietness of him pulling into the driveway, like slowly walking to his room and even you hearing the parents like, Oh, whew, they're home. They're okay. They're home. They're good. Uh, and knowing what just happened and then Peter goes to bed is a very, very dark moment for this movie. Um, it goes in a way in a, it, to a place with grieving that really few films manage to do with something like this, with such a, a brutal and visceral moment. Um, you know, if you watch other films, a lot of them will show death but they don't really go through process. the grieving pro- yeah they don't really process. go through the grieving process yeah they they'll show it and then you know oh it's a couple weeks later everyone's better you know <laughs> <laughs> everyone took their their Xanax they're all good now um and this film really shows you moments that feel really awful that that are like stuck in the grieving process of with a family that doesn't really know how to move on from the trauma of what just happened and is sort of stuck in that moment. And, you know, like I said, with other movies, you might see the traumatic moment happen. Somebody dies, they die in a car accident or something like that. And then you don't get to see the grieving process and you don't get to see the family not knowing how to cope with it. And then you move on from it from there. This film is showing you something that it's almost like you're not supposed to see you're, It's kind of taboo. You don't, you don't focus on the grief of the person in the moment. And this in hereditary does. And I think that that moment when, you know, Peter wakes up and you just see Peter's face, he knows what's coming. He know like he knows it is just waiting for the moment when his someone notices that Charlie's dead in the car and and headless. And it happens to be Tony Collette. And she gives a ridiculously realistic wail of grief that I think is really affecting. Um, and I remember seeing this movie in theaters and I remember that whole moment, probably it's like what, like 15 minutes of moment of, you know, the beheading occurring, Peter driving home, Tony Collette actually 
finding the body and then the the funeral element of her wailing through like the entirety of that funeral element uh you know saying like i just want to die um i remember it being completely completely silent in the theater um and there was actually quite a few people in the theater at this time we talk about sometimes how the theater is really empty but in this case i'm shocked no there was actually quite a few people in the theater and it was it was dead silent like because I feel like people were still trying to figure out how to process that themselves um, and see it through the eyes of like Peter and, and, and Annie of, of what just happened. It's a really, I don't know. It's a cra- it's a crazy moment for hereditary. I think it is one of those things that really sticks with you when you see the movie and it's so surprising because it just comes out of nowhere. Um, you just don't know how to react to it. And I think that's really the purpose of it. It's like, how do you react in a situation like this where something terrible happens and you have to try to process that and figure out where to go from here. And the film is exploring what that means. Now it's also exploring it in the midst of mental illness um, where we know that Tony Collette's the Annie's family uh, has a history of mental illness in some capacity. Uh, you know, her brother and her father um, both had mental illness. And so obviously the the element of the, the title of the movie, Hereditary, is in some way attempting to explore what it means to know that you have mental illness in your family and then have all these really terrible, traumatic things happen to you. Um, I think it's a crazy, crazy scene. And I, I was curious what you thought about how that played out, um, you know, in, in terms of, you know, what it, what it does for Hereditary. Because, like, like we said, it happens about 45 minutes into the movie. There's really nothing to get you prepared for that moment. And then the film really takes off from there in a in a completely different direction um, with the, the whole cult element in, in Paymon. So I wondered what you thought about that, that difficult scene. I think it was good. I think uh, definitely one of the strong suits of this film is the acting. Tony Collette is great. Alex Wolf as Peter is great. Uh, Gabriel Byrne is tremendously understated. Uh, that's why you need a man because you need a man <laughs> to you know be able to process these things with whiskey. Um, but no, I I mean you know I really like that. Um, in my own head, I kind of wish that the film kind of stuck to being grounded instead of adding this cult nonsense Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. that they kept to like the theme of mental illness and then dealing with that in family, dealing with grief in family, you know, and how grief can potentially trigger, you know, you know, the worst of us and maybe trigger some mental illnesses that we've had before that, you know, maybe you've been medicating, but or going to therapy, but with this tragedy, you know, you you lose sight of that. I think that'd make it a much more interesting film. And you then know, leaning into the the fact that Paymon is actually real. Yeah, and... which which I will say I do. Which even though that's uh, kind of like something I'd like to say, like you know, at least from my perspective, what I would re- like to see just from dealing with like this kind of stuff in my own family. I would have loved, you know, I, I do appreciate though that Paymon, like, you know, the old thinking of like mental illness of demons being in your body and your soul. That's a great connection. 
You know, so like it does work, and I do think it works well having that connection because you know, oh, why are you having these uh, tremors? Well, you just got ghosts in your blood, you know, mm-hmm. type of thought throughout human history. So I mean, that is you know a good connection that they're making there. But it, I would have preferred personally to see them more focus on. You know, mental health and mental illness. You know, yeah, I can instead, see that. Instead, instead of tying it to no, the cult is real. Yeah, I mean, I I definitely can see that. I I think that uh, that's when I first saw this movie. That's what I preferred to. To I preferred if the film had treated it like um, what we're seeing is from the perspective of someone who clearly is not doing well mentally, and and in truth, the film really does play it off as though Paymon is real um and the the cult is really out there attempting to sway this family and, and bring Paymon into the world um you know utilizing the the body of Peter and I I like when I first saw the movie I really wanted it to see it as though this could have been just the the mental illness of the family you know sort of trying to to uh reconcile this with the cult but on second viewing it is definitely here that it it's really truly a possession film that this is you know they're they're bringing something into the world that they shouldn't and um that it's it's truly that instead of mental illness i think it really it it does tackle the elements of mental illness certainly annie's we're we're not i'm not taking away anything from the fact that tony colette's portrayal of annie is certainly well within the grounds of mental illness in that it 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 quickly becomes mental illness for her as to what's happening especially with that trauma because obviously she she wants she's stuck on the fact that she cannot you know she can't bring charlie back and there's nothing that she can do because she is a person that needs to do something there's nothing that she can do to fix this, and as well, that's not that's not necessarily true because once they do the seance, it's clear that it's not her, and it's not mental illness. It's pay, you know, the ritual and Paymon that have con- been controlling her, and it's the same thing with the whole why has she been sleepwalking? Well, she hasn't been sleepwalking for years. It's not because she's like taking these pills. It's because she's away from her mother, mm-hmm. who, you know, runs these seances. And so it's the same thing. Like she starts sleepwalking again once, you know, she tapped into doing those seances that are trying to set up the ritual for Paymon. Yeah, but I mean, in some ways, there is there is mental illness here too, and that happens before they bring Paymon in. In that, I I, I, I shouldn't say mental illness. It's not mental illness. It's traumatic grief. It's it's dealing with the grief of wanting to bring Charlie back and not being able to manage the fact that you can't. You don't have control over it, and that's that's the reason for her um, her little miniatures, because she does have control over those things. She can control the view of what's happening in her life through the aspect of maneuvering the miniatures as though she's you know a godlike figure, and that's why she kind of present like it's re- extremely morbid. But she recreates the um, the the beheading scene in miniature and Gabriel Byrne comes in and he's like, what the fuck are you basically like, what the fuck is this? Like, what are you doing here? 
but she, it's all really we're, all, we're, all we're missing from that is sometimes that is better <laughs> but it's really her attempt to be able to have some sort of control over that and to be able to view it and as she says in a neutral capacity because even before they bring in the whole paymon element of having the seance um you know they have that really powerful moment at the dinner table with peter where Peter brings up the, like, it looks like you have something that you want to say to me. Like, we've been tiptoeing around it. Why don't you just say it? And then she just outright, just entirety of her grief and um, frustration just pours out of her in a really intense scene at the dinner table. Um, I think it's a really great moment. Tony Collette is excellent in this movie, like, throughout the entirety. She really puts in a lot of work her facial features are extremely expressive to the point where they are part of the reason why the film has some terrifying elements to it because of tony colette's expressions um she does a really good job with all of that and i think that her acting really pulls this together but it really does also have have that great element to it of at the dinner table having this conversation where she just lets her grief pour out and and her frustration it's it's a amazing moment um and uh, apparently hereditary had a lot of those moments that were actually even cut out of the movie because it was about three hours long before they cut some of those family dynamic moments out so um i i I will say i would like to have seen more from gabriel byrne i think he does a really good job as the understated steve like he he's there and he's kind of trying to hold this family together and you know every time we see him he's like a little bit more exhausted um I wish we had seen more because I do like that understatedness about him of just, you know, like quickly becoming more and more frustrated and uh, tired of like the of Annie's um, I guess, w- w- antics, I would say. I th- but I think he does a really good job with that. Um, later on in the movie, like you were saying, we do get the whole element of Paymon actually coming to. To, to be a real thing that's occurring. Um, and it does pull in a lot of those, those elements that we were talking about, like the, the exorcist moments, um, the, the obvious omen and Rosemary's baby um, influences here. What do you think is the, the best moment of like the Paymon possessions? What's the best one? Yeah. Like the, the one that, was your favorite like scene where it was actually Paymon really controlling like the, the people or, or the characters, whatever, you know, one of those scenes. I really like the seance, Mm -hmm. you know, getting to see that. And then how we don't know if it's Charlie or if it's, you know, they don't say Paymon, but this is the second seance, right? Not the one that she shows, uh, any the that the, you know the the cult no no person. no 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 not the not the like oh this is my oh this grandson. Nice, yeah my grandson yeah yeah no no this the one that they do at home i really like that you know um and then you don't know if it's like because again at this point as like as soon as they start talking about paymon you know and the fact that like oh they're trying to you know uh he's trying to be reborn it's like okay Charlie, Charlie was weird, not because of, like mental illness or something, but because uh, obviously a demon was in her. 
You know, all makes sense. You can't eat like candy bars like that and not be a creep at a funeral. You know what I like about that scene with the seance is that it, you know, first starts out like, oh, it's Charlie. And then it quickly becomes something else where you and the family are like, ooh, maybe we shouldn't have done that. (laughs) Yeah, like, oh, that was a mistake to to do that. Um, I I really like that because I think it, you know, like seance scenes are a dime a dozen in possession movies. But I think Hereditary uh, uniquely does this one where – it really does feel sinister. Um, like it starts out very, very nice and, Oh, we're talking to Charlie and she's conversing with us and then immediately becomes sinister. Yeah. I really like that. Um, one of my favorite parts is, um, like the whole element of Tony Collette, just randomly being around in the house when Peter wakes up and just like in the backgrounds, up on the wall, uh, you know, like Spider Tony. Um, I think that's a really effective moment because I, lo- I, I have to say I really want to see more of films that are not extremely in your face about things in the background of the movie, like scares that happen in the background because a lot of movies are like, hey, did you see that? It's in the mirror. Hey, did you see that? Like we want to point it out to you. Here's some, here's some sound effects to point it out to you that it's in the background in the mirror. Hereditary kind of like just lets it go. It doesn't really draw attention to anything. You obviously see it, but it's allowing like the, the viewer to have control over when they notice that it's in the background. And I like that a lot. I think that more movies need to, to rely on that instead of just like the regular musical sting uh, to prompt audiences because I think that's more effective. Um, the other thing that I think you mentioned too is that you you really liked that. Well, I I wouldn't say, I don't know if I yeah, I would say you liked it, but you were startled by that scene where Peter slams his own face into his desk. Yeah, that was startling. Um, not just. It was mainly the way he slammed his face into the desk and then the way he retched and recoiled. That made me like go, oh, shit, for a second. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, that, that, you know, that is like a little... Which, it's been a long time since I've been... not trying to brag or anything, but it's been a long time since, like, like uh, horror films generally made me go, like, kind of retch a little bit. Like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that's a really effective scene as well. It does really sort of come out of nowhere. And I, I do think that Hereditary has those moments. I think that's what sets it apart is that it has those cerebral moments and it has those actual scare moments too. It's it's a very uh, disturbing movie in a lot of respects. And I think it does that really well. Um, so I guess that kind of leads us up to the end of the movie with Paimon and the actual crowning of Paimon and, and things like that where the cult kind of sort of – they just appear – in their house and you know the the dead body of um annie's mother is in the attic and things start to get really really crazy how did no one smell that well like i said they had an expensive house it's extremely well insulated and whoever did the insulation should certainly get a pay raise because good for them that's why i don't understand like how do you not smell the, the fucking rot up there like <laughs> Yeah, because it's been there for a while. It's been there for yeah, a, enough at least to ha- a week. Enough to have all those uh, 
more than a week. It's been months. Yeah. I don't know how they've been spelling it. But what did you think of how it gets crazy and goes, it really goes for the Paymon element to it? It's fine. I, I you know, um, again, because I'm not, you know, I, I wasn't too crazy overall on having, you know, it being tied to a demon. I mean, it's, I think it's fine. Um, I was more interested in like the build going up to that, you know, and seeing the breakdown of, you know, the mother watching, you know, Tony Collette as Annie, watching her kind of fall apart, you know, watching Peter falling apart mentally, and then watching, and by that point, you know, uh, Gabriel Byrne and Steve like be like, I've had enough of this bullshit. <laughs> um, that to me, you know, I mean, that was more interesting than the whole. Now that you got ghost in your blood, and we have a demon summon. Mm-hmm. I don't think the ending was bad. By any means, I actually, again, for what they were trying to do, I think it was well, very well done, um, and very in line with, shit, I can't remember which one, which one is it where, like, the, the protagonist at the end, like, jumps out the window to f- try to kill themselves, it's not, I mean, well, it's kind of like, I was going to say, yeah, de- th- he throws himself down the stairs, but mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's another one where they actually throw themselves out a window. Um, I mean, it was cool to see, you know, like, you know, as, you know, the divas take it over Andy and she's sitting there with piano wire, like chopping her head off. Uh, you know, it's kind of nifty, but I mean, at the same time. I think it would have been a much more interesting film if it, it's you can have that stuff happen, but be like, why is why is he seeing that schizophrenia? Mm-hmm. You know, and like leaning more into that. You know. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think that I would have preferred it without Paymon being an actual real entity, but I do think that it does a good job with actually doing the paranormal element to it, and I think it it gets crazy enough at the end with all of its weird surrealistic visuals that it works um and that's where i think the film lost my dad like you were talking about before (laughs) is the uh the craziness at the end um and that it came on actually being real because he didn't really think or expect that that would be the case that it would actually go and lean into the paranormal element and well, what I mean at that point with like what they've been building up, there's no like at the, what they had been doing, there's no like turning back. And like, oh, it's just another fucking head, because then that would have felt even cheaper. Like you know, like okay, you've already like you know leaned so hard into the paranormal aspect. Mm-hmm. If you like pulled back at the end, like pulled the rug out, you'd be like, what the fuck? That would be like unacceptable, right? Because right. you'd be like. Like how could you, how could that possibly be? Yeah, yeah. because at at that point, uh, I mean. Even, like, with, like, a quarter of the film left, it's obviously, you know, leaning into the paranormal, you know, and not leaning into the mental illness aspect of it. So, Mm -hmm. again, I I thought it was, I thought the ending was well done. 
and I liked it. I for you know what it is. I mean, again, but the, my whole critique and crux would be I would have preferred it to be more you know centered on it being more just cerebral. But they didn't do that. He didn't do that. So this is what we had, and I think he did a, a damn good job with it. Mm-hmm. Um, even though even if it is Rosemary's Baby meets the end of Exorcist. All right, so so let's give hereditary a rating. So on a scale of uh, zero to ten peanut brittle cake, what would you give hereditary? I'd probably give it an eight out of ten. Um, could be on future uh, watches, maybe an eight and a half. I do think it's very good. It's incredibly well shot. The shot comp we didn't even talk about it. the shot composition. This film's great. It's got that nice Wes Anderson symmetry, which makes it even that more haunting. The acting in the film is terrific, um, from Tony Collette and Peter Wolf and uh, uh, Miley Shapiro. She does a really good job of being creepy. The premise is really good, even if it is borrowing from every fucking possession film under the sun. It's a very enjoyable film. I really like it. Is it groundbreaking? No. Is it revolutionary? No. But it's it does what it's trying to do well. Um, it's not even close to being as scary as The Exorcist. You know, cause they were, they were even saying that about like Evil Dead, like the scariest films, like you know the remake, scariest film since The Exorcist. It's like shut the hell up, no stop, because it's incredibly hard to beat and. This film, though it has scary and traumatic moments in it, I wouldn't really say it's a hard-to-watch film. Um, It wasn't really that emotionally draining. It's just another psychological horror film to me. Oh, that's interesting. I I wasn't really that emotionally taxed watching this film. Hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe I'm a psychopath sociopath i don't know i i it was just like another like yeah that's a another film <laughs> i am interested i'm i'm i think that's interesting that you didn't really find like the beheading and the grief after and the you know the element of being really stuck in this family grief cycle that seems like almost we shouldn't be seeing uh that it wasn't difficult no i i you were just like, eh, whatever. The family member got beheaded. I don't know. Because we've seen, I mean, it, it, it maybe it'd be more impactful if this is like the first time we've seen beheading in a film. You're right. When we see people die in most films, we don't get to see the grieving process. But even still, like, I don't think watching what they go through enough alone is like, hard to watch because again I don't think they focus on it long enough because it's within 15 minutes after that we're going on to well you got demons in your blood again if they maybe focused on more about like the psychological aspect then yeah it'd probably be a harder film to watch but other than that like no because the fact that you're focusing on well there's actually this cult of you know a coven that's trying to bring back one of the eight kings of hell Paimon it loses its impactfulness. Hmm. So it doesn't really make it, you know, a hard-to-watch film. Hmm. At least in my eyes. Interesting. 
maybe if I watch it more and I, I I'll find it more draining emotionally and psychologically. But overall, no, I I I, I didn't find it to be draining on hmm. my mind. I would give this film um, an eight and a half. Uh, I think it's a really solid horror movie that that does feel a little bit different from from especially recent output. I think Ari Aster does have a good view of um, composition and the slow burn. I think he does a really good job with that. Uh, nice surprising elements to it that you're not really expecting. And I do think that Ari Aster has this really um, unique ability to center on this like the sinister and the the uh, very visceral elements of grief that don't normally happen in in movies that this that is able to accomplish in hereditary um i if you don't find the element of like charlie's death um disturbing or difficult then i don't know that midsummer will be either um they kind of go hand in hand a little bit, but um, I do think that they both have this, you know, interesting ability to show a really unedited version of grief that perhaps only certain people can even understand if they if they've been through it. Um, and I think that Hereditary does a really good job of that. It it in in any way. It, Tony Collette does an excellent job here in pretty much everything that she does, um, from the from the actual elements of grief to the transformation later on in the movie, where she's somewhat possessed by Paimon, and the the, the ways that she's able to contort her face um, to be very startling. Uh, I think is is extremely well done. Um, Peter does a really good job too, um, and. You know, uh, Alex Wolf. He does a really great job of uh, sort of playing that part and playing the basically the the viewer. You know, the same person who's kind of like, what the what the hell is going on here? Um, he does a really good job of that too. So I think Hereditary is really well worth the praise that it's been that it's gotten uh, within the past four years. Uh, Ari Aster certainly did ha- uh, spark something here with Hereditary and. Um, you know, it's a really visceral, cerebral film, and I enjoy it. All right, so that's our Hereditary episode. Um, we're going to be back next week um, with an episode on Funny Games, the original from Michael Haneke. Original Austrian movie, I should say. All right. So that should be fun. Um, that one has is pretty well known. Um, it... Do you know the uh, the home invasion subgenre? Mm-hmm. That's what Funny Games is, and to me, Funny Games is the epitome of the home invasion movie. So we'll see if you uh, agree. It's not the Purge. Nope, it's not the Purge. All right, so thanks for listening to our difficult films episode on Hereditary. We will be back next week. And if you want to be updated on all the the episodes that we do, you can subscribe to us on pretty much any podcasting app you can think of. We're on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Homebase at Anchor.fm. We're also on Good Pods. Uh, Most recently discovered that one. And you can actually tip us on there too, just so you know. 
Uh, we also have Facebook and Twitter. Just search for us there, uh, Blood and Black Rum Podcast. We have an email address at bloodandblackrumpodcast at gmail.com. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, uh, what movies you want us to cover, and we'll keep that in mind. And also, you can donate to us on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash bloodandblackrumpodcast. Um, anything you can donate is well uh, really appreciated, and we will put it back towards beer. So just, just uh, so you know. Oh, I was gonna say at, at at this rate, don't put it towards beer. Put it towards all these seven hundred apps we need to fucking watch a film these days. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. I just realized, like, I just got a message. My Netflix is going up to fifteen ninety nine. That's right. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. We're we're gonna have it's to. Tw- uh... It's twenty bucks if you want to watch it in four K. I didn't even realize they were charging for fucking picture quality. If you pay nine ninety nine a month, you only get it in four eighty. Yep, a bunch and, of co- bastards. And then they're going to take away your ability to share passwords, too. So, Yeah, I didn't even, I didn't even realize that until I saw it because I haven't been on Netflix in fucking eons. Yep. All right. So well, that's bullshit. Donate to us so that we can continue to fund all of these apps that we use to watch our movies. So Ryan's sister can keep paying for Disney Plus and HBO yep. Max. Yep. All right, so we'll be back next week with our episode on funny games. Until then, take care.